Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Pay Now or Pay Later, the case for investing in contractor qualification and management, sponsored by Browse. My name is Kevin Drulli. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health magazine, and I will be moderating today's session. Okay. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. Views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speakers. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast, you will be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. View this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speakers today will be Dennis Robinson and Pat Cunningham. Dennis serves as Business Development Specialist with Browse, where he has worked for over 10 years. Pat is Director of Safety and Auditing Services, has a Master's in Occupational Health and Safety Management, more than 25 years of experience in the safety field. Again, we thank all of you for tuning into this presentation. Dennis and Pat, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate that. Uh, we want to first of all thank everyone for joining us. Uh, hopefully you find uh, what we go through today Helpful to you all, and um, as Kevin mentioned, welcome any questions in the end, and uh, really just excited to uh, present to you all today. Um, really, as you all know, the news is full of workplace safety disasters, and regulatory around, bodies around the world are scrutinizing workplace health and safety more than ever. In recent years, the U.S. and Canada have increased their penalties for workplace accidents, and countries in the developing world are introducing new legislation to protect workplace safety. With that said, no organization is immune from accidents, and unfortunately, it's only a matter of time before a safety incident occurs at a work site. There was actually a, uh, a study recently done by ConocoPhillips that estimates that for every single workplace fatality that there are, that there are at least 300,000 at-risk behaviors taking place. With that said, uh, to save costs and to streamline operations, many organizations are turning to contractors supply them with goods and services that they previously had kept in-house. Now, experts predict that contingent workers, which had already made up 30% of the U.S. workforce, could climb to over 40% or more in the next 10 years. Though that might seem cost-effective in the beginning, hiring the wrong contractors could turn out to be extremely expensive in the long run, especially for companies in industries that have high-risk-prone work environments. If you hire an unqualified contractor without checking their credentials, their inexperienced acts may lead to an accident occurring at the work site, which could then lead to a string of problems and uncertain economic consequences that we'll speak about here going forward. So let's examine a few of the reasons why it makes sense to invest in a contractor compliance management. I'm not going to go over all these, but I'll, I'll hit a few key points here. Now, the first one's going to be reduced risk. If a contractor meets all prescribed regulatory and safety requirements, the risk to the organization or to a company of an accident being caused by that contractor is significantly reduced. Now, the next one's going to be litigation liability. Uh, as most of you probably know that are on this call, after a safety incident occurs, it's not inconceivable that the owner-operator will be sued for damages related to that event. Many litigious attorneys have a policy of sue everyone and see what sticks. This means that an organization, employer, or any person remotely connected with the incident is likely to be named as a party in a lawsuit. And then lastly, the other one I wanted to mention was that measurement really does matter. Uh, when an organization explicitly states their safety and performance expectations to their contractors, contractor performance does improve. Measurement drives behavior change, and communicating a focus 
on safety will influence contractors to respond appropriately. At the end of the day, as an organization, you really, you just cannot manage what you do not measure. So what Dennis mentioned was that uh, many companies are supplementing their, their staffing needs with contractors, and along with that comes a responsibility for them to implement a contractor management program similar to what they, they have for their own employee safety program. OSHA uses the term joint responsibility to, to um, describe the risk accountability that host employers have with their supply chain at the back and forth. So they're expecting, uh, some of the things that OSHA expects of, of uh, host employers is that they vet their contractors to assess whether or not they can work safely. They look at leading and lagging indicators. And I can tell you firsthand that uh, if, if uh, OSHA is coming to your site and they ask you about how, how you got to hiring that contractor, if, if, you, if you list using a low bid, then um, they're not going to be very happy with you. Uh, they're also going to see that you've uh, done an orientation with that supplier, whether you've uh, spent time orientating them to your sites and your processes, and, and you, you had a conversation on, on shared risk and responsibilities. They're also going to ask if, if you've done field oversight. You vetted this contractor. Now they're going to want to know, did you get out in the field and you observe their, their actions? And lastly, they're going to also ask you, do you have a discipline program for contractors? So just like you do with your own employees, uh, have you disciplined uh, contractors and what is that process that you use? Also with a, a compliance program, one of the things that um, we've experienced is that uh, when clients ask us to, to evaluate a contractor's written safety programs, that there's, there's typically a big surprise from the host employer that their supply chain uh, written safety programs aren't compliant with the with the regulations and and uh, they're they're making some assumptions that uh, all these contractors are have compliant programs and um, they're doing that from their their field of vision where they're a larger company and they have more resources they have internal and external auditing this doesn't necessarily take place with uh, smaller contractors so that's a that's an area that you want to also take a look at in your compliance program. Regarding pre-qualification, it's, it's really a two-phase process. You, you need to define the criteria that you want to select your contractors, and, and, and uh, you base that on your, your tolerance for risk and, and um, your safety standards and where you want to go with safety. And then the second phase of pre-qualification is actually assess your contractors against that criteria. Uh, in, in terms of monitoring, uh, science is not a static state. You know, out-of-date information can be just as de detrimental as, as not having the information. So you need to have that uh, information kept current. Um, another point in, in, in uh, monitoring is uh, do your internal stakeholders have visibility to the repository that you've, uh, you have all that information on your contractors? And, and do they have that available uh, to them in the field? So can they can they make good decisions in the field uh, where the contractors are actually working? And then do you have a, a system uh, sophistication that um, allows you to see visibility of contractors that are not compliant or are not supposed to be doing work on your site? So you need to have that that eyes on 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 the contractor status. And then just one bullet point on the requalification aspect. Uh, do you have a communication process to warn suppliers in advance that the data that um, they have input in your system, is, is it about to expire? And, and do you have a platform that allows contractors to upload that information? Uh, if, if you're doing all that yourself, someone's making a phone call, I don't want to turn this into a math problem, but if you have a thousand contractors and you're, you're, you're have 10 points of, of information that you're looking for, that can add up to a lot of time and, and a lot of effort. Agreed, Pat. It can definitely become that. And at the end of the day, that reclassi reclassification that you mentioned at the end there is highly important and something you have to focus on as well. Um, so really, that brings us, brings us to the question of how much does compliance management cost for my organization? 
In 2011, there was actually a report done called The True Cost of Compliance. Now, that study surveyed over 46 organizations over a 12-month period about their legal and regulatory compliance management activities. The study found that companies who increased their compliance spending also saw a positive correlation in decreased costs associated with noncompliance. So really, in other words, an investment in compliance is one that can, and I'm going to throw in, will yield returns for your business. Now, that study also concluded that of the money spent on compliance, 60% of those costs were expended on licenses, conducting audits, and so on. When evaluating a contractor compliance program and calculating the cost of a potential investment, an organization really must first decide whether they want to manage that program in-house or outsource that contractor management to a specialized vendor. The costs and the outcomes associated with each approach can be dramatically different. Uh, you'll see the list on your screen, and this lists out some of the common direct costs associated with an in-house contractor compliance program that really you should all be aware of. Uh, we mentioned on their staffing and resource to manage the program, record storage, auditing costs, software packages, uh, staffing, which is highly important, and we'll address that even further, and then resources to notify uh, contractors of expiring documents. And again, it's not just a one-time event. It is ongoing, and it's living and breathing and constantly moving. Uh, when managing contractor compliance internally, companies should not overlook the costs associated with adequate staff and resources required to manage compliance documents, monitoring those documents, for expiration and then validating appropriate insurance endorsement language and proactively contacting those contractors to collect updated documentation. Attempting to reduce the cost of internal compliance management is difficult. It's manual process and there's really no way to get out of that manual part of it. One thing to keep in mind is utilizing lower skilled or lesser trained administrative employees without the adequate knowledge of your requirements, which, if you do that, could leave your business at risk. Recognizing the need to manage compliance is certainly a step in the right direction, but too many organizations that keep a program in-house also rely on manual tools to run their program. Uh, these businesses, they'll manage contractor populations by relying on staff to enter appropriate data into a spreadsheet, verify its accuracy, and then keep those hard copies of all documentation in a filing cabinet. While this is better than doing absolutely nothing, there's obvious flaws in the approach. Uh, managing contractors out of those filing cabinets and spreadsheets, let's just talk about it. It's time-consuming, it's inefficient, and ultimately it's costlier. Most importantly, though, companies that rely on outdated, inefficient methods to track and manage this data are taking extremely high risks. You don't have to manage compliance alone. Um, as we saw in that last slide, the costs and issues required to effectively manage contractor compliance in-house can quickly spiral out of control. Luckily, there are specialized vendors who offer solutions that can manage that contractor compliance across your entire supply chain. Uh, these vendors offer a combination of software, and outsourced administrative support to streamline that contractor engagement and communication for you. Uh, these vendors can also help to define and apply your criteria related to corporate, regulatory, and legal compliance, and then manage your contractors to those standards. When considering outsourcing your compliance management program to a vendor, the following costs really should be considered, and these are some of those that you'll see on your screen. Uh, consulting fees, software licenses, administrative costs, and then uh, the other two on the, on the bottom there uh, regarding financial and operational impacts, and then efficiency improvements that will be needed as you see fit as well. Uh, later in this presentation, Pat's actually going to outline a roadmap for success uh, for you all should you wish to engage on, in an external vendor uh, to help you with that compliance management program. Now, this kind of brings me to the next option that you all have or a company has when looking at this, is they can do nothing, uh, whether that's by a conscious choice, ignorance, or just potential uh, consequences, or some other circumstance, 
there really are organizations that opt to passively manage contractors and just hope for the best. In other words, they, they do nothing about contractor compliance. And if the cost of managing a compliance, uh, contractor compliance seems significant now, uh, the potential costs of workplace safety incidents that result from a non-compliant contractor can be staggering by comparison. OSHA has determined that U.S. businesses annually spend more than $125 billion, and yes, that's billion with a B, not million, in total expenses on more than 6 million workers who suffer from fatal and non-fatal workplace injuries and occupational diseases or hazards. Just by example, uh, there was a settlement uh, for a West Virginia mine disaster where 29 men were killed. The cost to the owner-operator of that was $210 million. Now, that, that uh, settlement was divided accordingly. Uh, $46.5 million went to compensation for the miners' families. $128 million went to improving safety. And $35 million went in fines. In addition to that, the families uh, of those that were killed were able to pursue civil lawsuits as well against the company. So as you can see, while the upfront costs of contractor qualification may seem unattractive and in some cases daunting to an organization, the potential cost of doing nothing is far greater. Uh, this is where the adage of pay now or pay later, I feel, really does come to light. So let's talk about some of those potential direct costs. Uh, the direct cost of an incident related to not managing contractor compliance will differ from situation to situation, but are likely to consist of some of the following, and you can read along on the screen with uh, these bullet points. Uh, fines and penalties, they make up a substantial cost for companies because of incidents tied to improper contractor compliance management. Uh, various organizations such as OSHA, MSHA, and EPA, uh, they impose rules, impose rules and regulations to protect safety of workers, and breaking these rules whether or not there was an accident that occurred, will lead to citations. Uh, next is going to be damages and repair costs. If a contractor working at your site causes an accident, your organization will be required to make reparations for those damages to anyone that's injured in the accident and for any property that was destroyed. Uh, lost time, that's another great one to bring up. Uh, workplace incidents interrupt normal production, and it will take time to restore your operations after an accident. New workers uh, may require training to replace those who have been injured or removed from the site, and this means lost productivity and revenue, obviously, that may not be recoverable to your organization. Uh, litigation costs and civil damages, and then lastly, increased insurance costs. After an incident, an owner-operator will pay more for insurance and workers' compensation premiums. Uh, these increased costs will be used to offset the cost of likely claims, administrative fees, and then risk of uh, potential future accidents as well. Let's look at the indirect costs. According to the American Society of Safety Professionals, the indirect costs of a worksite incident are estimated to be 20 times that of the direct costs of that same accident. While it's a little bit more difficult to quantify and really a lot more difficult to quantify, than the direct costs are, the indirect costs of a work site safety incident are no less important and then may include those that you see on your screen, uh, strained employee relationships, uh, overtime to offset production downtime, management and supervisory investigative time uh, for that post-accident item, reputation damage, and so on. In the end, the decision to actively manage contractor compliance versus just hoping for the best comes down to the risk tolerance profile of your business. However, numerous studies have shown that a proactive investment in safety and compliance management will decrease the likelihood of a workplace incident and provide a company with a defensible position in the event of an accident. Ultimately, as the owner-operator, you must decide for yourself, do you want to spend some amount now on contractor compliance or potentially spend much more in the future on damages and fines, like we talked about with that West Virginia mine incident. Should you make the choice to invest in contract compliance management, though, our next section details a roadmap, as I mentioned, to assist with your program implementation 
and then the selection of a vendor partner for you. So what Dennis mentioned, described was is really change management. So if, if you're evolving from an in-house program to a managed contractor uh, program, you should do an assessment on where you currently are with your, with your program or lack thereof, and, and then develop a vision on where you want to go. This is the same thing that you're accustomed to doing with your own employee safety programs, as I mentioned before. And I'll, I'll provide, uh, in a few slides coming up, I'll, I'll provide a little more detail into how to go about doing that. But in terms of system considerations, when you, when you move to a third-party provider, uh, you know, find the right partner. And, and really what that means is it, provide a partner that can, can provide you a vision on options and what your system could look like in the future. And then dig into the software. You know, does the software have configurability? We, we talk about your, your uh, system needs and your experiences and your risk tolerance. Does, your, does the provider, are they able to configure their system to fit your interests and your history and your, your culture? Or are you buying uh, a static piece of software? And then get your house in order. And, and what that means is identify internal stakeholders for your contractor program when I worked for a different employer, we went from an in-house program to a, to a managed program, and, and uh, I was tasked with putting together a, a contractor safety department. And I can tell you we had a, an, um, we had a, a workforce of 11,000 employees across eight states. And candidly, we didn't at the time, we didn't know what we didn't know. And that, that was a little bit of a scary place to be. So. One of the things that we did was we, we took a look at who our stakeholders were and identified uh, those different departments and where their touch points were for contractor management and what their concerns were. And, and we brought a that team together. So as we move forward, we were accounting for their responsibilities and their interests. And so we didn't, we didn't um, uh, step in their path to, in, in what they needed to do for contractor safety and in, in contract management as well. So that, that worked well, and I, I would recommend doing that very same thing. Who are your stakeholders? And in today's time, we're, we're so specialized in different departments that we don't typically um, get involved in, in other departments' work or, or have uh, cross-department conversations, which is, is absolutely necessary. And then um, the last uh, thing I'd like to mention is implement best practices. And we'll, we'll talk about how to do that and, and where to go seek those out. A little bit more on finding the right partner. You know, contractor management, I think Dennis illustrated, it, it can be very complex and, and administratively intense to, to do. And, and it requires time and attention that your current staff might not have. So if you're uh, going to reach out to a third-party provider, here's some inquiries that you might want to make um, in terms of what, what type of things to ask them. The first one I would say is what is their position as a thought leader in safety? You know, are they involved with the safety process and, and evolving safety to its uh, current state and, and, and future state? Are they, are they part of the education process and, and, and um, advancing the cause? Or are they reactive to, to what's going on in, in their profession? And do they have a dedicated uh, host and employer contacts? Uh, you know, do they, do they um, of course, they're going to uh, pay attention to the client, but do they also have dedicated supplier contracts, uh, contacts? So this is not a call center approach to, to managing contractors. Sometimes the contractor part of contractor safety is overlooked and the contractors are, are looking for additional help and support that they're not being provided. And what is the onboarding process? You know, how do you go from the current state to future state? And, and when I put that department together and, and we were going from an in-house program to a, a managed program, that was one of my biggest concerns is how do we take an organization that big and how do we go from the current state to future state, and I wanted to know what was the process for how to get, how to educate our employees and our contractor base. These are, these are questions you definitely want to ask. And you should ask for client references and, and retention rates. How, how are they 
how are they managing their clients and, and how are they uh, how are they keeping their clients? And then in, in, in terms of uh, lagging indicators that we all have to report to, uh, what is their safety performance of their of their contractors uh, database and and how is that uh, over the industry averages? They they should have that those numbers for you. And then lastly, what is their philosophy on <clears throat> excuse me on contractor management? Where do they see themselves in, in terms of their role as auditors and, and supplier assistants? Agree on all that, Pat. I think it is so important to make sure that if you do use a partner, you've got to find the right partner. And we'll kind of talk now about the software and, and what that would mean for you as an organization. And, again, every software service is different. So it's important that you vet out those and ensure that they are somebody that meets the criteria that you're looking for as an organization. Uh, many of these vendors, uh, what they do is they base their business on a software package that automates most aspects of that contractor compliance management. Uh, these tools will ultimately form the backbone of your overall program. Therefore, you should conduct, and Pat mentioned this previously, an in-depth review and comparison of different vendor tools. At a minimum, though, that software should feature some of the following. Uh, software of a service, web-based or cloud delivery, uptime guarantees, advanced risk assessment tools and functionality, hosting in a high-quality data center, and reliable application available legitimately uh, with compliance providers should be available to provide credible documentation as well for you. And then an easy-to-use interface with intuitive compliance icons. The last thing you want to do is put something out there that Either your contractors can't follow a read or you as an organization can't follow a read. It's got to be something that streamlines this approach for you and doesn't complicate it further as well. Some more items. Uh, there's got to be configuration options that make the solution adaptable for your business. Uh, multilingual capabilities. Does your company work in multiple countries with multiple languages? If you've got somebody maybe over in Asia or a different country that speaks another language, it won't do any good to have a completely different uh, platform that they can't read or understand and vice versa. So very important that you understand what your business needs are in that regard and that uh, the partner that you choose provides you with, uh, with the correct items for you. Data integration options uh, to work with existing items like ERP and so on. Uh, the ability to override compliance requirements and then customization options. Uh, got to ensure that it's not just an out, outside of the box, here you go, figure it out type scenario for you. There's got to be some customization available to you as an organization so that you can ensure that that program meets your needs and your requirements. <clears throat> and then also that there's value-added services, uh, such maybe as online training courses, gate entry, employee level qualification, and so on. Um, and then, you know, also further growth. You've got to consider that once you have a program in place, you might want to grow that program. You might realize that there's other areas that you as an organization really need to look at even more so, and that's going to give you, uh, going forward, more options. You need to make sure that those options are available to you as well. So as you build that program, it's important that you assemble your internal team who will work on the compliance management program implementation. Uh, you're going to want to consult with your risk management safety, procurement teams, and really anyone that's involved in that process. Sometimes it's up to the VPs. Sometimes it, you know, it's corporate-wide in a lot of cases, and it's not just safety. It's, it's many different parts of the organization. Uh, to really define the thresholds and compliance requirements that will be used for your contractors, determine the, uh, the uh, documentation requirements to support that qualification. Um, your requirements really should mitigate the risk but be reasonable for safe contract organizations to meet. Ultimately, though, you need to be realistic. Uh, you can't jump into it and expect the world. You've got to start out and bring your contractors along with you in this process. Remember, though, that not all contractors may have the same level of risk associated with their activities, and there may be different compliance models in that regard. Uh, work with your compliance solutions providers to determine the models that most accurately support your business and fit your risk profile. Um, qualification criteria may include some of the following, and you see these on your screen, where you've got financial stability, environmental health and safety, 
quality systems, uh, CSR, sustainability, legal, insurance, business continuity, diversity status, and much more. And obviously, inside of each of those items, there's a lot of other items we could touch on, but you know, we don't have time for that as well. So earlier we talked about implementing best practices. So let's let's take a look at some best practices to consider in regards to a third-party managed system best practice. Campbell Institute did research in a white paper and wrote a white a white paper on um, it was titled "Best Practices in Contractor Management" and it, it addressed um, and, it, and the members uh, membership felt that using a third-party provider was a best practice. There was a second follow-up study that quantified that using a, a third-party provider uh, does, in fact, uh, uh, provide uh, positive results and, and uh, improve safety performance. Uh, both white papers are available on the Campbell Institute uh, webpage. That's free to the public to, to reference. In terms of OSHA, uh, companies that are applying for VPP, when they do CITES, when OSHA comes in and does a site assessment, uh, host employers have been, positive, been given positive credit for using a third-party provider. So they're recognizing the fact that um, this service uh, does provide positive results. And then, if, and then uh, in terms of the, the, the vendor itself, um, partner with one that, that's able to take your company beyond a compliance-only approach. And I, and I know I, I started out with compliance, and, and you certainly need to use that as a, a fundamental. But really, as you you know, look back at, at your own employee safety programs, a compliance-only approach is only going to address the what. It's only going to get you so far, and 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 you really need to to look at a a safety management system. You know how you integrate safety, how you engage your employees, how you train your leadership. These are the these are the hows of how you do safety, and and your your service provider should be able to get you to that point. So. You definitely need to start with compliance, but you, um, I'll provide you reasons later on for, for why you need to engage contractors in the how of safety. And then lastly, I'll say get involved with, get involved with, with uh, industry and trade groups. This is how companies stay ahead of the game. They, they network. Uh, they join organizations such as the National Safety Council, ASSA, ASSP, uh, VPPA and, and industry trade groups. These these organizations come together and they share best practices, and candidly share uh, common challenges. and And this is exactly how these companies stay on top of things. and And if you're not doing that in some manner, I recommend that you go forward with that. We talk about software, but software itself is just is not going to get you where you want to be. You know, software is a tool. It can be a valuable tool and a, and a great tool to have, but it needs to contain accurate information. It needs to be current, and it needs to be able to drive you to taking action. And if there's not a verb in there, then then uh, it, it's not it's not providing you the the resource that you need it to do. So um, the information has to be. We've talked before about accessible. You need to be able to see it when you're at your office. And when you're out in the field, so you need to to be able to take that that information with you wherever you go, and it needs to be formatted in a, in a manner that provides your company with metrics that are important to you, so you can assess strengths and weaknesses and and, and be able to take action, uh, and and whether that's uh, corrective action or or, or um, encouragement you know, recognizing positive uh, behaviors. Those are things that you want to be able to do with your system. And you want to be able to trend uh, supplier performance. And really what you're trying to do is that, uh, you know, the other, you want to, to align your, your contractor management system, what you're seeing in the field, and also with your employee uh, safety uh, program. And really we're, we're talking about aligning your, your initiatives. You know, and Pat, I, I think it's important to reiterate here that as we're talking about whether you use an in-house solution or a third party, um, you're not just trying to, to ding those that are maybe not in line with what you're hoping for. 
but it's more to look at the folks that are safe, that are qualified, and, and putting everyone on an equal playing field to say that, you know, if you're letting in folks that are not in line with your safety culture, you want to reward those that are. And so this isn't to bring to light just those folks that are maybe doing dangerous activities or are not compliant with your requirements, but also to take the folks that are compliant with those requirements and ensuring that you're rewarding them with giving them the business that, uh, that you're looking forward to uh, utilizing. So assuming that you are looking to utilize a third party, um, there will be a cost involved, obviously. Uh, depending on the complexity of your compliance program, there also may be fees assessed to your contractors. Uh, the one thing we'll say is be cautious of compliance providers offering low-cost options, also claiming uh, to offer full support. Asking for contractor references is not uncommon, something that you should feel 100% confident in doing, and it will enable you to find out what type of support they truly receive. Uh, a lot of people ask when we talk about this, they say, well, how do we ensure that um, you know, contractors are going to work with you and provide these different items for you. Well, it's important that when you pick a provider, it's somebody that is in line with what it is that you're looking for so that it doesn't feel like a, just a disjointed process. There's a, an actual partnership there. And it's, if it is a partnership, it really does make – it increases the, uh, the productivity of the program and ensures that the contractors will trust that what you're asking them to do is something that's in line with your safety culture. Ultimately, though, you're going to get what you pay for. Um, if you get a low-cost program that promises you the world, well, you're probably not going to get it. You've got to ensure that whatever it is that you are getting is, a, is of the value that you're looking for. In addition to that, uh, beware of hidden fees. Uh, less credible providers often have hidden fees or charge contractors minimal fees. Um, Assess those fees for, but they'll assess those fees for every site uh, that you employ the contractor at. You could have a $99 contractor fee that quickly becomes uh, over $1,000 or more if that contractor works at multiple site locations for your organization. So it's important that you not only understand what those fees are up front, but also how they can escalate on the back end for you as an organization and then obviously for your contractors as well. So I mentioned before that uh, sometimes the contractor and contractor management is, is a forgotten entity and, and uh, contractors, they experience and see your safety culture every day. You know, they, they, uh, they know what your values are and your priorities are. And, the, and their first impression of you is, uh, takes place before they even step foot on your property. They, they, they see what's important to you by your vetting process and what you're asking them to do. And do you reward contractors for investing in safety? <clears throat> uh, you know, the other side is, do you hire low-bid contractors only? So their second impression comes when they, when they go through your orientation. They sit down and they, they listen to what you have to say about safety and, and how long it is and how detailed it is. So they, they get their second glimpse of you at that experience. And then when they're on the job, you know, they, they interact with your employees and your leadership, and, and uh, they see the sense of uh, the level of co collaboration and, you know, the rule reminders and positive reinforcement that takes place. So they, they have a very good sense of who you are. And, and in speaking with many contractors, you know, I, I've learned a few things about what they, what they see of you as, uh, as, as a company. And, and so they, they view you as uh, mentors. You set the rules and the priorities. They know what's important to you based on production and, and, and the kind of conversations you have with them. And as Dennis mentioned, they do look for ways to how to improve their safety programs and job performance because, you know, as Dennis mentioned, you know, they, they want to be valued, valued and they want return business. And you need to develop um, your contractor management system so you have the metrics for meaningful con contractor conversations. So, um, you know, I, I know going, uh, you know, walking a, a plant floor with uh, plant leadership, sometimes they, they, they felt they didn't have enough information to talk to a contractor other than, than the, the, you know, the, the shallow statement about staying safe. So if, if you have metrics and if, and if you know the hows 
you know, we, we talked about compliance, the what. Are you compliant? Are your injury rates, you know, at or below industry average? But do you know how they train their leadership? Do you know how they engage their employees? If you have that information available, you're going to be able to have objective data to, to have your conversation with contractors because they're looking for you to, for help and how to continue to improve their safety process. So therefore, at a minimum, I'd, I'd recommend that you meet with your contractors at least annually and, and talk to them about the specifics of how they're performing and what you and your employees see of them on the, on the job and, and how they can make improvements. And if you have that kind of rapport with them, because they're, they're working to help you provide products and services, and, and if you foster a good partnership, they're going to help you get to where you want to go with safety and your end goal as well. So uh, respect them and work with them well, communicate with them, and they're going to help you get to where you want to go. So contractor management is, a, is an organic living process, if you will. Um, like safety is never done. So uh, just with uh, same thing with contractor safety, uh, what works for you today isn't going to necessarily work for you tomorrow. So you're, you're constantly assessing what's going on and what kind of things are taking place in the field, and you're, you're making adjustments. Uh, so you're going to need to do that with your contractor safety uh, program. Just as you do with your employee safety program, you, you evolve over time. You take a step-by-step -step process in, in, in making improvements. So I, I men, made mention before about make, doing an assessment, and, and uh, I'd like to share with you how to go about doing that. You know, I, I recommend that you use a, a systematic uh, assessment models, uh, such as the Plan Do Check Act, uh, or do a SWOT analysis on on um, the strengths and weaknesses of a system, you know, these, these, two, these two models are readily available uh, on the Internet, and, and you can learn about how to go about doing that, those, either one of those types of assessment processes to, to assess your current program. But what you're going to need is to how to break down contractor management and how to, how to go about doing that. And, and one of the things, uh, one of the best things out of that first Campbell Institute research paper uh, best practices in contractor management was was uh, an outline of the five stages of contractor management. And this has been um, presented by other people other than the National Safety Council and Campbell Institute. It's, it's really been adopted as as the as the standard for contractor management. And um, really what you want to do is you want to do a systematic element assessment. In, in the five stages of contractor management, what are you doing in the area of pre-qualification? Are, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Where, where are the gaps there? What are you doing with job, task, and risk assessment? How do you evaluate the, the, the risk that contractors take when they come on your job site? And how do you classify those contractors? What is your training and orientation process? What are you doing to educate contractors? And are you, are you getting feedback from them on the effectiveness on, on what, they, what they received and did it relate to the work that they're doing? And then how do you monitor the job? As a host employer, you know, I mentioned before, OSHA is saying that you need to, to evaluate your contractors, do some oversight. How are you recording that? How are you do, getting that done and how are you learning from from those various observations that are taking place in the field. And one of the last things that is the most challenging to even to the Campbell Institute members is post-job evaluation. So you do all this vetting and you do all this communication and you and you monitor jobs, but how are you how are you helping the next person in your company understand about the experience that you had with contractors? And and this is probably the most challenging aspect of doing that. So uh, again, it goes back to repository and doing that task so people don't repeat uh, mistakes or, 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 or can replicate uh, positive things that you've done. We come to our conclusion slide, and, and uh, regarding the, the case for investing in contractor qualification and management, or the title of this presentation, you know, in too many times, too many cases, uh, and a host employer's contractor management efforts lacks their employee uh, safety efforts. 
and I, for the most part, I don't I don't believe that lag has anything to do with uncaring hosts. I think it has more to do with lack of program vision. You know, they're very sophisticated in employee safety, but not so strong on their contractor management. And I, I think also that uh, has something to do with available resources and, and, and getting that getting that work done. So today we've covered some best practices and some considerations, and we, we hope that um, these things have, have helped other employers improve, vastly improve their safety efforts for contractors, and, and hopefully you found a nugget or two that you can use to take back to your own organization and improve your company. As we wrap up here, I um, really want to throw out, uh, we got some great Q&A questions coming in, um, but as we're, as we're uh, finishing up here, we want to answer as many as we can. So um, feel free to submit those here as, as quickly as you can, and we'll, we'll try to get to as many of those as possible. Um, ultimately, though, whether you utilize a third party or an in-house solution, uh, research has shown that an upfront investment in, a, in compliance management does correlate to reductions in the long-term costs of noncompliance. Therefore, every organization that employs contractors should ultimately weigh the, the cost of preventative compliance management solutions, as we've outlined above, uh, versus the uncertainty of potential fines, damages, and other uh, economic impacts. The do-nothing approach just is not good enough. We talked earlier about that, the different options you have, whether it's utilizing an in-house solution, using a, a third party to assist you, uh, using in, or just doing nothing. You know, you can hope for the best, but really that's putting you as an organization at risk, but even more so putting your employees at risk and then those other contractors that are working on site with you as well. So next steps. Um, obviously, me and Pat are working here with Browse. Um, let's say that you as an organization are ready to implement a contractor compliance uh, qualification program or looking to improve your existing processes We'd love to speak to you. I'd love to share with you stories that we've had with folks that we've spoken to, whether they decided to stick with an internal program, which is totally great. If it's right for your business and it's what you feel and um, fits with your safety culture, that's completely acceptable and something that we would never tell anyone um, is incorrect. Um, our team can help you to implement best practices while also minimizing the impact of your contractors by offering superior dedicated support uh, to help with your contractor qualification but we also believe in straightforward pricing that ensures that you and your contractors won't be surprised by hidden fees or costs after program implementation. If you're interested in learning more, we'd love to have that discussion with you. Uh, obviously, you see the link on the screen, and uh, you know, if any of you have questions, feel free to reach out to us. With that, I'll turn the time back over to the moderator for questions. Excellent. Great job, Dennis and Pat. Thanks for your insights and expertise. Before we do start the Q&A, I just want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete. The survey should be appearing on your screen now. Your input is important because it will help us improve future webcasts. If you do not see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. You may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. And with that, we will get to questions. First, how can you ensure that a partnership still exists between the company and the contractor? In, inserting hey, a Pat, you wanna... as gatekeeper. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Finish up. And Pat, I'm happy no, to take this. Yeah, no, there was, there, it was a little extra just mentioning that inserting a third party as a gatekeeper often inadvertently interrupts services required to continue operation. You know that that uh, <laughs> could you repeat that question? It kind of it kind of broke up. I'm sorry. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. No. The 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 question end of it. How can you ensure that a partnership still exists between the company and the contractor? But I think the, the importance there is uh, it's a matter of respect, really. You know, you, you're bringing in an outside expertise in labor to have them uh, provide a product or service for you, and, and so they get that initial respect and understanding from you through your vetting process and and your orientation and, and uh, a dialogue starts. And again, you, you're, you're out in the field with them, you're talking with them, um, you're, you're um, encourage them to work safe and, and uh, having conversations about what they're doing and, and providing some guidance. 
um, that's how you, you you initiate that that rapport and and uh, they come back and work for you again it's been a good experience they see where you've uh, they've helped you and you've helped them and and um, it all really goes back to the respect that they feel when when you talk to them about uh, sincerity of, of how uh, you see they're performing in the field and and, and how they complement uh, the work that you do as well. Next one. Uh, I imagine there's quite a bit of customization regarding the way a third party pre-qualifies contractors for each individual client. How do third party companies develop this pre-qualification process for each client? I'll take this one. Um, ultimately, as we walk through the different items you should look at when looking at utilizing a third party, it's super important that you find an organization that will allow you that customization. Um, every organization is different. They have different levels of contractors that give you different levels of risk. And, you know, we've heard of solutions that are kind of more of an outside of the box where you've got somebody that's coming on site to do low-risk activities like deliver, let's say, something as trivial as water or um, driving on site for a, a, a low-risk delivery. And they're being asked to submit the same items as a high-risk individual that might be working in confined space, working on cranes, uh, whatever that might be. So um, ultimately, it's important that when looking at a provider, there's somebody that has that custom op option for you and can address those needs for you, especially moving forward. We talked about earlier how, as an organization, you've got to have somebody that can grow with you, and that, that's even more important, where upfront customization is great, but going forward, you're going to want to make changes to that, to that system. You're going, to, you're going to want to add things as well. So um, it's super important and something that uh, need to be considered as you're looking at a partner. You know, and, and maybe what I can, I can add to what Dennis said is, is it's really a line-by-line -line, um, process that you go through with a, with a host employer. So you sit down and you, you agree to do business together. Well, what does that mean? So how do you... You know, we, we have a, a, a process where so we go, again, a line-by-line -line area, and, and do, you, do you want this product or service, and how would you weigh this against uh, what's important to you? And at the end of the day, you've, we've gone through quite a litany of, of contractor management uh, areas, and, and uh, you have a way of customizing or, or configuring your system to, to uh, where you want it to start. and. Uh, the nice thing about it is that you get to address it and evolve it as time goes on as well. Next one. Would you recommend assessing a contractor safety performance by using the workman's compensation insurance experience modification number? I'll take this, Dennis. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's one of them. You know, the, uh, the workers' comp aspect of it is really the, the cost of their injuries compared to their industry averages against a you know a 1.0 number and um, this is an important lagging indicator just like the OSHA injury logs are and and um, and even uh, establishment search uh, you go to the OSHA website and, and see what kind of experience this contractor had with with um, with OSHA if they had any citations and. One of the things that we did when I worked for a different company is that we, we utilized lagging indicators. And, you know, lagging indicators, uh, if you go, on to, go to safety conferences, they get, sometimes they get a bad rap. You know, it's all about leading indicators. But, it, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's hanging on to those lagging indicators and then adding leading indicators. So what we did with the lagging indicators is that we looked at trends. Are, are all these lagging indicators are they are they at industry average? Are they trending in the right direction? Are they trending in the same direction? Uh, so you can get some some good insight on contractor management uh, just based on on leading indicators as well. So yeah, I would certainly you add the workers comp to my arsenal of of uh, metrics that I use for lagging indicators. Hey Pat, if I if I can add to that a little bit as well. Um, you know, Pat mentioned the different lagging indicators that are worth looking at. Obviously, that's important, but I know one you brought up was looking at the, uh, at the citations and violations, and we talked earlier on how there's a lot of, how for every one fatality, there's 300,000 potential items that are happening, and there are fines that are assessed for some of those. And so 
it is important that you do look at uh, those citations violations because there may not be an accident that occurred, but there might be activities that are happening or not happening uh, that really could put your organization at risk, uh, and so it is worth looking at. Um, again, it, it's looking at those different items, looking at those different lagging indicators to ensure that you're not just looking at one mechanism, you're bringing them all together, and it's giving a full view into that. This makes sense from a site operator's perspective, but how do contractors react to these programs? Pat, do you want to take that one? Yep, yep, and that was a... That was a, that was a very uh, good question. That's a very good question. It was a question that was asked um, early on when we when we put in a contractor management program at, at uh, a utility I used to work for, and and that was the fear. And mostly the fear came from from the operations and maintenance side of the fence, where they had trusted contractors that they wanted to use. You know, they they got them out of jams in the past, and you know, could could uh, mobilize in a hurry, that type of thing. And, and so they were concerned that whatever this vetting process that we were going to put together was going to eliminate their, their option of using these contractors. And and um, I can tell today, you know, it, it's very common for contractors to be vetted, um, ask for this information. You know, Dennis talked about the risks involved of, of not vetting contractors and you know liability and all those kinds of things that you read in the paper. Well, today, contractors are used that used to being uh, vetted and and so they're aware of this. This isn't anything new. I'd be very surprised today if you hire a contractor who hasn't already been asked by somebody else to provide them the kind of information that you're looking for. And, and the, the fear that we had always is, you know, the, you go to the what ifs, you know, and, and right away we go to the, the very end of the spectrum of what if a contractor says, I'm not going to work for you because I don't want to supply this information. And, and um, very, very few contractors will do that. And, and, you know, this is a very biased opinion on my part, but, you know, you really want to thank them at the end of the day for being candid with you, and uh, they don't want to continue that journey with you uh, for safety excellence. So um, it's best to part ways, and and uh, very very few contractors will do that. But it, you rather have them be candid with you up front and said have them say no uh, than than to to falsely believe that they're they're walking the same path with you. And Pat, I agree with all that. I was I was going to just mention that, as I'd said earlier in the presentation, as much as this program is about finding those non-compliant contractors, it's also about finding those that are uh, that do support your safety culture. Um, again, whether you do an in-house solution, utilizing a third party, whatever it might be, it, you want to make sure that everyone's on an equal playing field, and you're rewarding those contractors that are doing the things that you would like them to do and that really are a strong partner for you. All right, we've got time for one more question, it looks like. Um, I've been pushing for these programs for years, but I can't get buy-in. Any suggestions for changing the culture? I can take this one, Pat. Um, you know, ultimately it just comes down to, you've got to make a decision in an organization and it's got to start somewhere. Uh, you can't maybe force the hand of uh, folks that just don't want to hear it, but the adage that we that we really presented in this uh, presentation is pay now or pay later, and that's where you've got to look at it and really have to move it forward. There's companies that we'll work with or we'll speak to that it takes years to finally get them to understand and see why this is so important. And unfortunately, at times, sometimes it takes an accident to really bring that to the forefront. So um, whether that's a black eye that exists on your organization due to an accident or you're being proactive and saying, you know what, something hasn't occurred, but if we're not careful, it could. We need to look into this. Um, it, it's got to be something internal that you look at and you press forward. Thank you. Uh, unfortunately, we have run out of time today. Sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but all of the unanswered questions will be forwarded on to our speakers. Once again, I uh, hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen to give us your feedback. That ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. We'd like to thank Dennis Robinson, Pat Cunningham, everyone at Browse, and all of you who listened in. Thanks, and have a great day.